The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. The latest trends and hottest topics, love and sex, handled honestly and with passion. Here's Dr. Lori, CJAD 800. Coming up on the program, uh, we've got Teen Talk. Uh, we have our panelists, and we're going to discuss abstinence-only sex education. Not here, thank God, but in the U.S. Give you some of the latest uh, research on that. And any other topics that you want to discuss uh, with our teen panel, uh, well, our teen sexuality panel. Uh, but first... Time to check out our inbox. Your calls and texts are always welcome. Connect with Passion now at 514-790-0800. Or 514-800. Remember that you can always, always email me, uh, Lori at drlori.com or through the iHeartRadio app. If uh, you have any questions anytime throughout the week, I'm happy to uh, answer them. 514-800 to text in. Um, I've often questioned my sexuality because I exclusively watch trans pornography. I've also had several sexual encounters with trans escorts. Does this make me gay? I find myself still very much attracted to females, and the thought of being with a guy turns me on. Help. So thinking about this, uh, it's a great question, and I'm, and I'm sure that this is uh, can bring up certainly a lot of uh, confusing feelings for you. I have to say there's not really all that much that is uh, researched or understood about people who are attracted to tra- transgendered partners. Uh, so there's not much out there except for one guy who wrote a book called uh, Trans-Oriented. So this is a term that's being used now, uh, nowadays anyway, to describe this, uh, this attraction and, and, uh, Michael, uh, David Friel wrote a book called Trans Oriented, a guide to love and relationships for men who love transsexual, um, women. And having read that and having interviewed him, um, he had talked about that the majority of men who are attracted to trans women, so meaning, um, women, men who become, uh, women or who have women parts and men parts, uh, they have never felt gay or had any attraction uh, to men, and nor do the majority of them see themselves as gay or even uh, bisexual. They see themselves as straight, but there's also this new term now, trans-oriented. And the reason it's they use this term is because trans women are not men, even though, yes, they may have uh, a penis if they're not uh, fully operated, but they see themselves as, uh, as women. And he makes the point uh, to say that gay men actually are rarely attracted to trans women. Gay men are usually attracted to men who look like men. So uh, if you're interested in knowing a bit more about that, I would uh, send you to the website, transoriented.com, uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about that. All right, another question by email. After I masturbate, I feel pain in my penis, like a burning sensation. I have to pee for 20 minutes. Um, tw- well, that's a long pee. 
or 20 minutes after. I'm not sure what you're trying to say here. Um, but only a few drops come out. I have no sexually transmitted infection. I don't have a UTI, but I don't know why I feel this way sometimes. Pain goes away after some time and doesn't come back again until I masturbate again. So anything that feels off, weird, whatever, you should seek medical attention to figure out. You need to get to the cause of this kind of thing. I don't know how old you are, so I don't know, um, you know, is this a potential issue with a prostate? Is this maybe caused by some kind of pain like that? I mean, I'm, of course, I'm guessing right now, I'm just looking at uh, anatomy and thinking of what it, it might possibly be, but I just don't have enough uh, information. But sometimes what does happen is that the the flap which opens and closes for sperm and urine so that when when there's sperm there's no urine when there's urine there's no sperm maybe it's closing uh, too soon and sperm is left inside and maybe it's making it burn or hard to pee. So I think this kind of thing simply requires a, a medical assessment and evaluation to figure out what it is. So call your doctor if you need, uh, if the doctor feels that you need a referral to a urologist, a specialist in that area, but you need to kind of find out what the, uh, what the cause of this is. And I can't, first of all, I'm not a medical doctor. And second of all, you need to be examined. Like this has to be examined also. Uh, would you recommend me bleaching my pubes. One of the many girls I'm currently seeing suggested it, but I'm worried about the health risks involved. Uh, look, I think this is a popular trend, certainly started among porn stars, which a lot of these genital trends seem to start there. But frankly, I think it could be a disaster if it's not done uh, done properly. And really the main risk would be burning your skin. Your skin is sensitive. Like this is areas that are, are uh, when you're talking about a pubic, your pubic area isn't exposed as much as say your arm or, or your head or whatever it is. So to me, like to put something as strong as bleach could certainly burn your skin. It's not something I would want to do myself. There, there may be out there some mild uh, bleaching agents that maybe could work and you apply that with like a, uh, basically a mascara wand so that you avoid the skin and you only get the hairs. Uh, but I think that's really tricky. So uh, the other thing too, if you, what if you're bleaching and you're putting on bleach there and, and it drips onto your genitals, if you like, oops, applied too much. So to me, bleach is bleach and it's a, it's a very strong, um, chemical agent. And, uh, some people have used hair dyes without harsh chemicals, maybe to avoid any unpleasant consequences, but they may not work. And some people, even with mild stuff, they react badly and you don't know how you're going to react. I had a friend once who tried to do his beard, just his beard with one of those, uh, over the counter things. And it destroyed his skin for months, burned through his skin. It was a horrible, horrible reaction. So I can only imagine, imagine if he had put that on his pubic hair and, and what, and, and the damage that would have caused and the pain because it's not an area that even breathes really. So that's, 
super dangerous. So it's not something that I would, um, I would go for. Uh, texter writes in from Anjou. I love she males. I am heterosexual and I love she males. So this is an example of someone who identifies also as a heterosexual. So you would in, in nowadays terms, uh, be considered trans oriented, meaning your orientation is towards trans individuals, I guess. Uh, this is what, what that whole thing is about. So, uh, coming up, we are going to deal with teen issues and teen sexuality, which usually means we focus a lot on sex education. We'll see where we're at in terms of, uh, uh getting uh, sex education out there now that it is compulsory and what's been uh, happening in, in Montreal at least. Uh, and tomorrow, uh, just a reminder, tomorrow we're going to play together. We're going to play a game. We're going to do some sex trivia. It's Valentine's Day, so at least get your partner a card, write write him or her a poem or something. Uh, And I'm going to be spending it with you, and I'm going to be giving away lots of prizes. I have prizes from Luscious Lavender, Vivaldi Restaurant, Capino Physio, uh, 360 Punch, um, the Coats and Luke Dramatic Society and Del Frisco. So lots and lots of stuff to give away tomorrow. Pretty much everyone will win. I won't make the questions too, too difficult. And we'll have a little bit of fun. So if you're not doing anything or your date is over or what have you, tune in, spend the hour with me and, uh, and win some great prizes. So coming up, we'll address the issue of abstinence only sex education. Do you think it's a good idea? Would you even, Want that for your own kids in, in our system? Uh, I mean, it's not going to happen here, but would you have preferred that? We'll discuss that topic and more. From the pleasure to the pain and everything in between. Passion with Dr. Lori. News Talk Radio, CJAD 800. One of my favorite topics, sex education. Uh, well, it's not that it's my favorite topic, but it's the, the soapbox topic or the one that I get high on my soapbox on and love to talk about because uh, we need so much of it, especially in this day and age. Uh, so tonight, as we do uh, more or less once a month, I bring together people who deal with uh, adolescence and education to the table, and we discuss different topics. So joining me is uh, Sean Jarvis, who is a high school science teacher and ends up doing quite a bit of the sex education to his students through the science program, and Tanya Damore, who is a community health worker as well and the vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec, which uh, is an organization that um, advocates for sex education and creates uh, training and uh, educational resources as well. So I got to read you this. I know, I I have a feeling I know exactly what your reaction is going to be, but I want (laughs) to, I just want people to know what's happening just on the other side of the border. Uh, So this new meta-analysis, meaning uh, an analysis that that looks at a whole bunch of different studies together, looked at the effects of abstinence-only sex education, and of course they found, surprise, surprise, that it may have had the opposite effect of the one intended. Since the mid-90s, over $2 billion has been spent on abstinence-only sex education programs in the U.S., Trump has indicated that he would like to increase spending in this area at the expense of sex education that informs teens about contraception and protective sex and, hey, consent and LGBTQ issues and everything else. So 
Does abstinence-only sex education actually work? What do the studies say? I know you're like biting your tongue, Sean. Like, relax. Let me read this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I know you have a lot to say. So the new study looked at the adolescent birth rate, so live births for girls aged between 15 and 19 per 1,000 between 1998 and 2016, as well as the spending focused on abstinence-only and comprehensive sex education across the U.S. They found that abstinence-only education had had no overall effect on the birth rate amongst teens, whilst in conservative states that pushed this education, there had been quite the reverse effect. Abstinence-only education actually increased the birth rate in conservative states. We're not surprised. Of course, us who are in this field are not surprised at all, at all, at all. The authors found that an increase in spending on abstinence only or wait until marriage education had no effect throughout the entire USA. And in politically conservative states, it increased births. So what does that uh, tell you? And, and they're still shoving money at it, right? We want more. We want more. We want more. As if more money and more of this abstinence only education will create uh, less births. It's not happening. It it just, it doesn't lead to a decrease in young people having sex. It doesn't lead to the avoidance of unwanted pregnancies, and it doesn't lead uh, to less sexually transmitted diseases, period. And this is found over and over and over again. So go figure. Why would a government who sees, or you think he would see the results of these things, right? Still insist, insisting on abstinence-only education, even after it has shown that it has the reverse impact. Yes, Tanya. I I think that we're assuming that he's read these studies, that he understands (laughs) how studies work. Maybe if they're on Fox News or Twitter. (laughs) And I don't think that that's the right, you know, soapbox for that type of research to be showcased on. So I I don't think he even is aware. I think it just, you know, fits in with his There are policymakers. Come on. There are people. There's, aren't there, like, we have education ministers. Don't they have people who deal with that portfolio You've got to know. You, you you don't just throw money at, at, at types of programs and not have the uh, the impact of uh, of said money. Like you need to know what your money's doing. I would think. Well, um, I think based on Mr. Trump's history, perhaps he needs a course in sexual education. But that's okay. neither here nor we there. We shouldn't be just bashing political. Uh, <laughs> Let's and, talk about the real issue and. The, the real issue is, yes, you'd expect when people are appointed to these positions, they have some knowledge of the portfolio that they're taking on. But sadly, that is often not the case. Look, um, anyone will t- any expert will tell you that a comprehensive sex education program does include a discussion of abstinence. If, if two people are in a relationship and they want to abstain from sex, any kind of sexual activity until marriage, there's nothing wrong with that. That is a choice. Right. But that abstinence education is only one component of an overall sexual health education right. program. Exactly. And I think that's a, a very good point that just because we say comprehensive sex education doesn't mean it doesn't include abstinence. Uh, of course, it is a, a choice. Of course, we know that the only way to not get pregnant and the only way to avoid sexually transmitted infections is to not is to abstain 
completely from, from sexual activity. That's one option. Is it the option most teenagers go for? Clearly not, according to these studies. Yeah, and if you if you have a program that only talks about abstinence, and then you have a teenager sitting in that class saying, okay, well, I'm not going to abstain, you've removed that teenager's opportunity to hear about all of those other types of protection or consent or all those other things that they should be hearing to, in order to make informed, safe decisions. So I, I think, like, you know, if you look at that budget going towards that program and you think, like, hey, can I take a portion of this and put it towards other types, even as a test, like to compare against abstinence only, I think you would see that that would really have more of an effect. But unfortunately, that's not the case. You know, as a, as a, as a science teacher, I'm trying to understand the, the, and I mean this with all sincerity, I'm trying to understand the logic, the methodology as to why they implement these programs and continue to fund them when the research clearly indicates that they are not effective. I I hear you 100% and I understand it's not logical but it's based on um conservative views, right? So yeah. a lot of that stuff isn't necessarily logical. It's it's highly conservative views. We don't have that here, but we do have but we have experienced something similar in Ontario. So when, uh, because really Canada believes in comprehensive sex education, Quebec has now made it mandatory. We've always had comprehensive education. We've never had abstinence only education, but then we turn to our neighbors in Ontario and we see that instead of having the modern comprehensive sex education up to, I should say up to date, uh, the, uh, Ford one you know, has decided to go back to the old program, which excludes any talk about LGBT, excludes any talk uh, certainly about pleasure, about um, uh, what else? Consent. Uh, consent, uh, uh, sexting, all the things that our, our teenagers are really involved in right now. So how do you feel about that, Sean, as, a, as it's, an educator? It's, it's distressing because... Um, if someone is willing to roll back um, a program 20 years, who's to say that that same individual won't roll back a similar program as it applies to something else? Like what if they roll back another a part of the educational system, uh, Twenty, uh, roll it back 20 years? It's, it's frightening and... Um, it it doesn't it doesn't do it doesn't help anyone doesn't regardless help of regardless of and it doesn't help their parents regardless of their political or religious views or affiliations yeah we this is our teen talk panel Sean Jarvis is a high school teacher Tanya Demore is a community health worker and the vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec Tanya what did you want to add I I was uh, working teaching sex ed in Ontario when the reform happened and. As much as you want to state the facts, as much as you make briefs and you share those with the community and you meet with parents and you talk to them about those things, the facts aren't convincing people who have those strong values. And I don't know of an effective way to get that point across besides stating the science, but the science isn't what they're interested in. So there's like this clash between reality and facts and like science and just values and beliefs sometimes that don't coincide well. Right. For the school system. So the research doesn't matter. In other words, so with those abstinence only 
uh, education results in terms of this is what happens, it's not enough to convince the uh, conservative, very conservative right, let's say, to to change their tune. Is really what you're saying? It's 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 similar to the issues of climate change and uh, vaccines. <laughs> I guess so, I guess you can't you, know. uh, you can't change the minds there. Uh, so that's a hot button topic for sure. We'd love to get your thoughts at five one four eight hundred. Uh, coming up, another Ontario story, but uh, we're going to talk about dress code tensions in the age of hashtag me too dress codes has always come up and it's related to sexuality in many ways so we'll talk about that after we check in with our cjd 800 newsroom the following program contains mature subject matter listener discretion is advised straight talk that's all inclusive passion with dr Lori. news talk radio cjad 800 it's our Teen Talk panel tonight. Uh, Tanya Damore of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec is here. She's a community health worker. And we have uh, Sean Jarvis, who is a, a teacher, a teacher at uh, at a school, high school, science. We don't want to even say the high school just so we don't get you in trouble ever. That's uh, okay. Um, I'll get in trouble anyway. <laughs> so we're talking about, uh, well, different uh, issues related to teen sexuality. And one of these things, and I think it's a contentious issue, uh, it keeps coming up, but it causes tension. I, we've, I've read stories about this and talked to our listeners about this, but the, the dress code. I don't know how many uh, people here have kids who have had dress codes and issues with skirt length. I've never heard of a really too many issues with the boys, but certainly with the girls. So there's this one story that I wanted to share, which we can springboard into this topic, but uh, an Ontario school, uh, Catholic school principal and vice principal, male, walked into a grade 12 classroom and asked the girls to stand up to check their skirt lengths as the boys watched. And somebody filmed it and you could hear on the, on the video uh, saying um, the the uh, the principal, the male principal, was referencing the hashtag Me Too movement, and then saying you're putting every male in this building in an awkward situation, and also heard him say uh, legs are pretty. So of course this uh, it didn't go over very well. Uh, clearly, it didn't go over very well, but it brings up the issue quite a bit of. Uh, of dress code, how to address this. Um, you know, here you have uh, measuring skirt length in front of boys. I, I just, the whole thing is a bit humiliating, frankly, I think. But, um, I, and it's not that I'm against uniforms. I love the idea of uniforms. As a parent, uniforms are great because you don't have to worry about, you know, wasting time in the morning. What are you going to wear today? It's like you get to wear a uniform. There you go. Sean, is this an issue that comes up? In all my years of teaching, there are certain there are certain hot button topics. Anytime dress code is brought up at a staff meeting, it's gonna it usually sets off a firestorm. As I was saying off air, a policy a school policy is only as successful if the staff are willing to enforce it mm -hmm. on a consistent basis. In my humble opinion, dress codes, school dress codes, unfairly target. The female population. Right. That's what it is. Um, we do have boys who get changed in the hallways. So you'd be walking down the, the, the hallway and you'll see a kid in his shirt and his boxers. 
Now, certain staff members will call him out and say, get to the wa- get go change in the washroom. Some will not. Uh, we have kids who wear pajamas to school. No what? one says anything about that. In right. my opinion, that should fall under dress code too. But no one says anything about that. So as far as I'm concerned, and again, this is just my personal opinion, you either have uh, school uniforms or you don't have a dress code. Right. Again, that's just my personal opinion. It does not reflect any, you know. Right. That's well. That's your opinion as a teacher and, and your exposure yeah. to to kids and such. But how do you feel about the inf- like you talk about enforcing it? Does that mean measuring length? You know, the two fingers on the make sure you're not wearing spaghetti straps. But it's okay if guys wear tank tops. Like, how do you well distinguish all that? Um, in the past, uh, I know male teachers when they when they see a female student who's clearly clearly wearing something inappropriate, often what they'll do is they'll go see a female teacher and ask that female teacher to say, "Hey, can you speak to so and so?" and say, "Hey, look, um, perhaps they should cover up or go change." Mm-hmm. Um, it's but again, you're taught it, it becomes complicated, right? So you have yeah. some girls for I'm gonna just be play devil's advocate here. You have some girls who are, are, are larger chested, larger breasts, and they, when they wear any kind of shirt, they almost can't help but have a cleavage because they're just bigger. What do you, what do you do? Like, do you, we shame them to say, go cover up? Like, how do we, how do we address this in a respectful way without shaming kids and without just targeting girls? And Tanya, do you have any ideas? Yeah, well, I mean, the way the way it's done, unfortunately, and the way that you you hear about in the news or in stories like this is it's often you're wearing something inappropriate, you're going to distract the boys. And and I don't think that that's ever how it should be framed. First of all, the boys should be able to control their own actions and their own thoughts without, you know, being made to feel like they're incompetent for not being able to control themselves. But I also think that what we have to do is like, if you're going to enforce like, okay, no shoulders, that's for everyone. And unless you're making that a standard rule across your school, then you either do it or you don't. Like you can't just enforce it for women. That's mm-hmm. it's not gonna work. And right. then you're and then you're gonna have people who can get away with it. And like you said, like if, if someone has larger breasts and is gonna wear a tank top, it's gonna look really different than someone with smaller breasts. So it's either no tank tops, not some right. tank tops. Not for you some look revealing or yeah. you look inappropriate. Because that's really the message yes. that's being given, right? Uh, Absolutely. And uh, getting back to what Tanya was saying earlier, no one has ever brought up the fact that if boys are wearing tank-type tank tops, could that be distracting to the other boys who are not heterosexual? (laughs) I I mean, (laughs) Or the changing in the hallways or or taking off their their shirts, Mm -hmm. right? Because boys can take off their shirts freely if they're changing into their gym clothes in the hallway. Yep. So that becomes an issue. And I'm wondering if parents have struggled uh, with this. And listen, I've known, uh, I know kids who who go to school in uniforms and then they go with the full length and they hike up their skirts to whatever without their parents even their, the knowledge. And then the kids get sent home and, and what have you. Like it, there's, it's a big issue for a lot of people. I mean, why can't just, maybe everybody can just wear pants. What <laughs> just solved solve the thing. And last time we were talking about uh, this student who was shamed also and was told she was too distracting because she was wearing leggings. And this was told by uh, a male teacher or male principal or somebody who was walking behind her. And she was like, why are you looking at my butt? And why is my 
you know, why am I distracting you? Like, shouldn't you not be looking? Like, I don't know. There's something creepy about that. I think we're unnecessarily sometimes sexualizing teenagers' bodies when it's not even a sexual context, you know? Like, we're so afraid that what someone's wearing may offend someone else that we're, like, putting these rules and these, like, school policies in place and the kids don't even care, right? Like they're going to class and they're just doing their teenage lives and and, mm-hmm. and then they're being called out by these adults that work at the school. So I, I don't know how much people are actually being distracted by this and how much of it is just the school overreacting to spaghetti string straps or short skirts. Well, there's often an overreaction. I don't know, or I don't know if it's an overreaction, but a worry, concern when it comes to anything related to sexuality and teens the the fear it's fear-based in many ways right it's fear-based in terms of even of sex education some some parents who may be afraid of of having sex education taught because they're it's fear that that means the kids will have permission or do they're not happy if uh, birth control is available at the school or there's all of these but it's to me based on a lot of those fears. And we can continue to talk about that. And I want to get, I I definitely want to get to some of our texts about this. If you have kids, uh, teenagers, tell me about the the dress code. Like, have you ever run into an issue where your child was, uh, well, I would say your daughter, mostly, most likely, uh, sent home uh, because of uh, dressing inappropriately, say, or have you wondered about your own kids leaving the house or have, have you had an issue with them with that? We'd love to hear what you have to say. And we'll also talk about uh, consent. So what's happening in the world of teaching consent to uh, to younger people we'll we'll address all of that it's sex out loud and you're welcome to listen in passion on cjad 800 tonight talking about teen sexuality uh with my panelists uh, sean jarvis a high school science teacher and uh, tanya damore who is a uh community health worker and the vice president of the Sexual Health Network of Quebec. We've been talking about dress codes. A couple of texts here. I'm sorry, I don't think the school is overreacting. I work with kids and I've worked with delinquent kids and one of my rules is there's no hoodies. I don't and I don't want to see anybody's boobs or ass crack. So boys pull up your pants, girls button up your shirt. You're here to do XYZ not to sell sex. So um Again, enforcing a certain dress code is fine if you if everybody follows the dress code, which is why I like uniforms. Uniforms are you know usually they're either button down shirts or they're they they have a cut to them. They don't go too low. They don't go too high. There's a certain to me that I prefer that than uh, than enforcing a an kind of an arbitrary sometimes feels arbitrary dress code right where you where you, you're pointing at usually the females in there. Uh, and also there are studies done uh, and boys and girls do better in segregated classes of their own sex because there are less distractions. That's the reason given. It's a fact they're conservatives done and that's when boys and girls learn best when it's a boys class or a girls class and there's being 
an individual and they're selling your body. So what? Let's talk about that. The segregation. What do you think as a teacher? Do kid do kids learn better when they're separated? Well, there's. I think any developmental psychologist or neuroscientist will tell you that boys and girls do learn differently. Mm-hmm. I mean, they. I mean, I'm no expert in the area, but they mature certainly at different rates. Um, so there is research to support that. Um, but is it about distractions? I don't. I. I. Again, I'm I'd no expert. To, I don't. I don't necessarily think that that's the case. No. Right. The the studies that I've seen wasn't so much on distractions. It was, um, it was specifically women in STEM fields, and it was uh, girls basically having performance anxiety and not wanting to get answers wrong in classes that were mixed, and then performing better in STEM classes when they were segregated. So it wasn't so much about distraction. I've never seen anything about that, but it was more about performance anxiety and just like answering questions and attentiveness um, Mm -hmm. in mixed environments. So it has nothing to do with the sexuality. It certainly uh... wasn't a shoulder showing that was stopping them from answering those questions. Okay. I don't buy that for a minute. You don't buy that either? Nope. All right. Uh, This person says, uh, I don't like uniforms because it instills conformity. Okay, well, that's the, I can certainly understand that point, but as I walk down the hall of my of the school that I work in, everyone's wearing the same brand of shoes, everyone's wearing the same brand of leggings, everyone's wearing the same brand of clothing. Yeah. So, yes, I understand you don't like conformity, but the reality is is that kids, whether they're wear it or not, are conforming in terms of brands so yes and i and i remember that way back in 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 my high school years believe it or not clogs were were a thing and a certain type of jeans and they were like big elephant pant jeans i'm dating myself i know don't laugh at me <laughs> uh so but and everybody was dressed more or less the same i mean some obviously not everybody could have the same stuff but that was the goal right the goal was we this is what we we want to look like everybody else so there are styles there are things that uh, kids conform to anyway so you're right i think uh, but i think the whole uniform thing gets rid of a whole bunch of issues as well i don't know for me that's and 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 conform to, to, to define conformity as just what you wear that's not just what conformity is. Conformity is also the way you act, the way you think. There's so much more than just what you wear. Right. Right. Agreed. Any last words on that, Tanya? Yeah, I think that, I mean, going into these schools and, and having a uniform or having a dress code, like at the end of the day, what you want is these kids to feel comfortable. You want them to be able to learn. And, you know, sending someone home because maybe they're they're being a distraction to someone else. Like, what happens to that person's education? So I think we have to be really careful about how we're enforcing these things and the policies that we're making in the schools. And I, I also think, for me, after talking about all these different issues, let's look at the studies done. Let's look at the science behind all of this stuff. I think it's really important that we back up a lot of these arguments with the valid studies rather than go out of say something out of fear or enforce something out of fear or lack of of that knowledge or just based on um a belief that may not hold water in today's world in a way last text when i was in grade 3 which was a very long time ago in a Point Claire school I went to is uh, we had uniforms and the girls were required. If there was a question about their shortness of skirt, 
were required to kneel on the floor. Um, and if their skirts did not touch the floor, it was too short. And that way everybody wore the same length and it wasn't distracting and everybody was the same. But could you imagine putting, <laughs> like doing that in front of everybody? It's very say. humiliating. Right. Another text writes, I remember I wanted to have cougar uh, boots. Yes, I remember that. Oh, we could we could have like so many like go down memory lane. Construction boots were a big thing in my day too. I uh, wish we had more time. Alas, we do not. Uh, tomorrow night, guys, spend Valentine's uh, evening with me, will you? It's a date. Me, you, sex trivia, and a bunch of gifts. Luscious Lavender Vivaldi Restaurant, Capino Physio. Uh, 360 Punch, uh, Cotillion Dramatic Society, Del Frisco's prizes from all of these people, uh, and then some. So please join me tomorrow evening. Thank you guys for uh, being here tonight. Really appreciate thank it. Uh, thank you to Dave Simon, our technical producer. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or my website at uh, drlori.com. And by the way, happy World Radio Day today. Uh, coming up next on CJD, the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening and remember to live your life with passion.